Hello, it is time to chat with me, Kamea, and me, Rose. On this show, we have courageous conversations that illuminate shared experiences related to food and gender. We are here to help folks digest their relationship to food. Today, we're talking about flavor and tasting hierarchy. Ooh, what do you mean by that? I guess I have to listen to the episode to find out. Tune in. Um, (laughs) You're here. Hopefully you are. Um, But exploring this question of what does it mean to have a personal tasting vocabulary and is the ability to taste your food, is that privileged? I think so. Yeah? Tell me more about it. When I think about like my like fantasy schoolgirl archetype, oh, dude, that's such I waffled between um, Princess Diaries and like the dork that becomes a princess and Britney Spears and Oops, I Did It Again. Wow. I sit between, as you say, waffle between <laughs> Mean Girls as Lindsay Lohan. Oh my God. All the way to. Uh, and what's her name? Sandy from Grease Lightning. Just kind can, of very I can, similar. I can see that for you. I, I see yeah. the vibe. Yeah, yeah. Same with you. <laughs> <laughs> we are back <laughs> and way off topic. <laughs> All right. Today we're talking about flavor, tasting, and plaid miniskirts. Dude. Can they They're come coming. Back? They, I think they are back. Yeah. How are you doing today? How's your week? I'm good. It's been a fun day so far. Um, I enjoyed our brunch together and the different little flavors. It's always fun to just cook for you. Oh, um, anytime. Yeah, I, anytime. Uh, I'll take your food anytime. <laughs> but like when you texted me this morning, like, what time are we podcasting? I was just like, oh my God, I, I like I haven't put together any treats or anything. It's such a part <laughs> of our routine. Like if I come to your house, there's always some amazing snack board. And I got to, I got to show up. I mean, food is really important. I feel like to both of us and especially in our creative development, food is a necessity. All right. I'm really curious in your early memories, what's something that stands out to you of like a flavor or something you tasted or ate and you were like, oh my gosh, it hit you on a different level than any other foods. And it can be more than one thing. One like sensory memory that comes to mind is the first time I had um, cherry tomatoes out of somebody's garden and I had never experienced the difference in flavor, texture, sweetness and this was like a mixed bag of tomatoes and there was like a lot of them. It was like half a grocery bag full that um, this relative who came over and visited um during my well it was after my grandma was sick but it was like that period of time when she was terminally ill that we had different people coming and visiting and kind of rotating out so there was a lot of like grief in the household that I didn't really understand I was around 10 years old and so I'm like conscious enough that I'm understanding what's going on and like taking on a lot of responsibilities of the house but like not really. I'm 10. Like the most I can do is make ramen for me and my sister, right? Like do some dishes poorly. Like yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm 10. <laughs> um, but the the bag of tomatoes and like tasting them for the first time, tasting the different colors, like there were orange ones and red ones and yellow ones and some that were like 
oblong shaped and I I remember being like this one has like more meat to it this one has more juice to it and to this day tomatoes remain one of my favorite foods but only when they're in season and I get that there's a privilege in saying that and but that exposure to that sensory experience and there was an abundance of them that I could try different ones and understand like when one was really sour or like when one was really sweet because they were just like a harvest what we have like I'm not going to be back at the house for a couple weeks kind of thing and just like brought it to my family's home and I would revisit this bag of tomatoes as like a frequent snack and then you can taste how they age as they sit on the counter that changes Mm -hmm. they get more ripe Mm -hmm. that's cool that's a good one (laughs) that's a really good one when I was a kid I was definitely bougie with my food and one thing that I didn't understand was why the eggs at my house tasted so much different than like my friends houses and it was because we had chickens oh you were a bougie kid Mm -hmm. massive difference like I don't really I'm not a big egg person unless it's like from the farmer's market or somebody I know that has chickens at home yeah and I think it's one of those that it really does make a difference to buy locally if you can but also it is a state of privilege because like if you are extending uh, your food to feed a bunch of mouths eggs are a really easy protein for kids yeah. and yeah. yeah I mean you're looking at like what eight dollars a dozen for farm fresh to like a dollar 29 at the grocery store on the cheaper end it's funny when you think back on all of those memories another one that popped in my head that I made a note on is nasturtiums the first time I ate a nasturtium flower yeah, the first time I ate an assertion flower, I didn't actually like it. Whoa. It burned my nose. And I, I love heat. I love spice. Now, I was that chilies. in adulthood or in your childhood? I was not introduced to them until early adulthood. So I would have been my early 20s, maybe 19. Yeah. Maybe. I just, I remember being so fascinated about something so beautiful and cheery was like kind of spicy and kind of hurt <laughs> when you ate it you're like dang that's like black pepper yeah I asked you if you were a child or an adult because I'm sh- this is I feel like fairly common knowledge but kind of blows your mind when you really like stop and think about it kids have such a stronger palate than adults have you ever read into that a little bit um I think I've been exposed to the kids in my life as being like really picky eaters with the exception of a child that's really close to me and who's actually my neighbor across the street like that kid will eat anything that comes from the garden like I have never seen a toddler get so excited about lettuce and eating salads with me and That's I mean so it is cute. a bit of a game he'll be like Cammy, Cammy, lachuga totally like, he's yeah into it um he's also a bilingual baby so he wants to do salad he wants to do everything you're doing when it comes to oh, like yeah. snacking and he's trying sees the lettuce coming out of my garden and the garden his mom yeah. has and he like he wants it all That's he wants so it cute. all um but then um on the like in my family my niece and nephew they're a lot more like in the beige foods and they have a lot of um just need for food to feel really safe and for it to be really consistent on a texture level a color level they don't um, like surprises they don't like trying new foods and it becomes it, it's a battle and that's that's really hard mm-hmm. um well kids are interesting because 
they're I feel like typically they are very picky but to kind of have a little bit of empathy they do have so many more taste buds in their mouth than we do as adults I like think our taste buds literally die off or I think so I don't really know why adults don't have as many but kids taste 30,000 taste buds in their tongue then by the time you hit adulthood that reduces by like half so that's why kids are so sensitive to like spice just heavy flavors heavy spices bitterness sour um hence why like classic kid foods like chicken nuggets mac and cheese these are very safe like you said like beige foods very neutral on your palate which also you can go all the way back into like ancient times of kids not eating things that are poisonous so you want to kids actually needed to avoid like strong flavored berries you know what I mean yeah well and when you initially asked me the question about like uh things that I like tasted that I thought were amazing as a kid I'm thinking of like the the pull of a full mozzarella stick in my mouth like where it's like this crunch and the pull but it didn't burn my mouth and I could just like taste the whole thing yes I, I've definitely also been burned by those little fuckers before and mm-hmm. it sucks <laughs> sucks even as an adult <laughs> sucks but like it's amazing it's an amazing food well even like when you're a kid and you you get like fountain soda and the bubbles are so intense and small that it like almost hurts your nose when you drink it too fast mm-hmm. I hated that oh it's it's just these crazy things that you don't think about in your daily life as we're tasting and walking through our meals but really affect your likes and dislikes yeah yeah that's interesting I haven't really thought about like actually you having more taste buds I kind of thought of it as being like just a bigger part of your concerns as a kid. <laughs> There's less shit going. Maybe on it's a in little bit of both. Maybe you like you really notice when something's bubbly or well, spicy. Or... When you think about it, like I mean, obviously, okay. So there's a lot of variables here, but like when you're a kid and think about the first time you ever tasted like beer or wine or something that's like quote unquote like sophisticated like kombucha you know things that are a little bit more like technically interesting as like a flavor kids hate it they're like what the fuck are you eating like this is disgusting yeah i'm thinking of like coffee i thought Mm -hmm. tasted like burnt toast up until you realize that there's this like emotional satisfaction of being warm in the morning it does pick you up it's a ritualistic thing also i do really love the taste of coffee but well i learned half my palate is gone (laughs) i learned to love the taste of coffee but for me i I was working since being a teenager and worked all through going through school and so i i became dependent on the caffeine but my favorite coffee as a teenager was full of chocolate syrup and cherry syrup caramel macchiato milk um i was really into black forest coffee which is the chocolate cherry I don't know what that coffee. is. It was a thing at this coffee shop in southern Idaho, and I like carried it with me and to the Pacific Funny. Northwest, and nobody knew what I was talking about. But um, now I can't stomach it. No, I I rarely get super sugary coffee drinks anymore unless I am having a sweet tooth and I'm out and about, and I'm just like, mm, that sounds nice. Like, oh yeah, I call that vacation not? coffee. Yeah, it's like why not? But um, it's more of a pleasure thing than like a tool for my day yeah yeah but we also live in like a huge coffee culture in the pacific northwest like oh my god coffee on every corner so 
But yeah, thinking about like being a kid, I definitely, those are some of my strongest memories of having a sensory reaction. And so sometimes when I work with people like in my home cooking tutoring service and we're talking about likes and dislikes, sometimes the the memory part of our brain of remembering likes or dislike is really powerful, but that probably too taps into things tasting stronger and Mm -hmm. having a stronger like emotional like moment with it um better than your ability to like taste it in the moment moment but like I ate pickled jalapenos as a baby and my mom talks about that like you would just eat these but then I got older and I could they were way too spicy for me as a kid and through puberty and then at the tail end of puberty is when I started like getting into spicy food again but all in my memory of learning how to cook for myself in the early early day cook for myself like make quesadillas right (laughs) yeah like teenage food sandwich exactly Mm -hmm. I didn't like spicy food until much later but I can't remember like having a strong association with like sour sweet I mean because there are pillars of taste do you want me to go ahead and tell you Please do. <laughs> Sweet, sour, salty, bitter. And then there's savory and umami. Umami is kind of a somewhat new one. I say new lightly because we're talking maybe the last like 40 years, maybe less. I don't fully remember. But umami and savory can kind of go in the same category, but they are different. Well, I want to ask how, but just to clarify, when we talk about like these pillars of taste, these are the buckets of flavor that my senses can pick up on yes there's no nothing really in between and that's what I think is kind of interesting it's it's kind of like a color palette like in you have your primary colors and you can mix them and make other cool things but in reality they all come from the same colors does that make sense yeah that's a great way to think about it so there were four or five I lost count salty sweet sour bitter and then they're savory slash umami. But there is a distinction between. Mm-hmm. There are. They are different. Two. They tend to kind of fall in the same category because they kind of touch on similar products. If not, some people can argue that they're the same thing. But one example would be like a roasted piece of meat and a roasted m- mushroom. So like mushrooms are a classic umami flavor umami is found a lot in like asian cuisine so like deep like soul punching gut like it's almost like the way i best describe it is it's like this emotional thing you get like it's like giving someone a kiss versus like making out yes that's a really good analogy yes yeah Yeah. okay because like when you think about once you kind of like discover and play with different flavors and like mix things and kind of get more of a physical idea on your own self of like what that tastes like you can start pulling apart all these other things in your life that has umami accents to it so like barbecued eel in asian food that's like a very umami like the depth it's just rich it's like everything that's just good it like sparks this like thing in your brain that nothing else quite like sparks versus a perfectly roasted chicken, which is also savory and delicious, but it doesn't hit you quite in that same way. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's helpful to understand those pillars of flavor, but I don't necessarily reference those in terms of like when I'm cooking or being creative in the kitchen, I don't go like, which pillars of food am I doing? <laughs> I, know, I guess thinking about like the color palette, I'm 
You probably do more than you think you do. Really? But I think that's because you're, you are a cook. Like, you know how to just, like, make something you don't need. You're not relying 100% on, like, a written recipe. I think you do more than you think you do. Yeah, I guess that's true. I Like, I could never just approach a bucket of different paints and be like, I'm going to get to... <laughs> <laughs> periwinkle i would just kind of be like i don't know i think you need some blue maybe a little okay there you are it looks pretty now okay i made mud um <laughs> but i do think that the colors is a very interesting example because i've been thinking a lot about how when we increase our vocabulary in both words and from a sensory experience of flavors I think it changes our ability to taste and I think that this can in a lot of ways be a tool for becoming better cooks is just expanding that portfolio even if you're not going to go like the super professional like technical route where you're like oh this is savory versus umami like if you even remotely understand Mm -hmm. that that's a bucket yes that's really helpful but then within that bucket there's all these different things and I'm I'm thinking of, um, so a real life example for me personally is if you had asked me two years ago to distinguish smoked dried chili peppers, Mexican chili peppers, I would not be able to. I could maybe, if I tasted a mole or a pozole, I might be like, oh yeah, there's like, like I could identify that there was a smoked chili pepper but I wouldn't be able to tell you the name and even as I sit today after having had more Mexican cooking in my life because of relationships in my life and just sharing more recipes back and forth and more shared experiences um, cooking with my neighbor um, who's the mom of the little one that I Mm -hmm. just mentioned (laughs) Um, it's increased my sensory vocabulary so I'm a lot better equipped to um, be creative if I have random amounts of chilies, even if I don't remember like, oh, we're using the ancho chilies for this or like like really specific ones. Like right. I might, but when I increase that vocabulary, I'm better equipped to be like, ooh, this one's like really spicy or this one's really smoky or this one's whatever. And, you know, another example that I'm thinking of is when I've taught people how to make sauce from scratch people frequently students of mine have frequently just been able to identify that herbed category Mm -hmm. but if I bring a bundle of herbs from the garden to our cooking session together it's not only intimidating like visually they might be able to tell the difference between oh this is thyme and this is parsley but not always. <laughs> You're shaking your head at me like, no, they don't. He's <laughs> amateurs. Uh, no, but and I don't mean to be mean, but it's it's it, it constantly blows my mind that people can't identify the difference between oregano and thyme. But also that's me just totally taking my knowledge for granted because I was raised around it. Well, and in our globalized food system, right. how a lot of us approach food, we're not given the opportunity to have a relationship to time, the plant, to no. oregano, the plant. And Even actually, visually, like you don't really see pictures of those herbs. On yeah, things. no. Um, in one of my private cooking classes, it was like a group. It was a family that I was doing it for. 
and they were making a pizza sauce. Uh, we were making pizza together and I had a bunch of herbs on the counter and I would just told the group one of these I would never put in spaghetti sauce and I told them they had to figure it out and they like panicked. It was a great like family exercise and they didn't really know how to even approach to decipher that. So I like prompted them to like crush it in their hands, smell it, think of like their their sensory memory of like smelling spaghetti sauce and and just see if you can make that distinction. And they all reached the right answer. Yeah. They all did. Because once you put it in that kind of context, you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, even if your context is Little Caesars. Yeah. Which is, you know, not the greatest pizza in the world. You still can pick out those sensations. Yeah. I would hope sometimes. Well, they all reached the right answer, but it was a very funny like – they were intimidated by it and now with every cooking class that's that's like mandatory that people have to smell herbs if we're using them take a little taste of your lettuce before because like sometimes it's sweet sometimes it's like over watery sometimes like just developing those little relationships to your ingredients how to use them is so difference in your cooking so valuable i mean like we live in a society that's very just sugar salt and like fat like that's basically what they've taught us to taste right any by they do you mean like big ag big pharma what are we talking about (laughs) the bad guys (laughs) the very bad men (laughs) but we we don't really have a very developed even even the most like traditional american food and not speaking in the entirety because that's not true, but like what's, I guess, readily available to most Americans is just very brown town, bland, not exciting to your palate at all. It's comforting. It, it sparks a thing in your brain that you want it. You want to eat more of it. It's not, you're not tasting the layers of how it changes in your mouth, how it hits your palate when you first take a bite and then as you chew it and it gets more like pulverized how that changes and then when you swallow it how does it sit in your mouth you know what I mean there's all these different layers you want to think about um and sugar isn't necessarily like bad in terms of flavor sweet's not bad we just like rely on it I think way too much sweet and salty we just like lean on it like it's the only options and that's makes really boring food it's also dual aspects of my personality same (laughs) i can be also very bitter and sour at the same time (laughs) sometimes i get a little spicy deal with it (laughs) deal with it but once you like can play with what you're tasting and like you said encouraging your students to taste these herbs like literally just raw fresh not in anything just tasting them is such an amazing way you can educate yourself because once you know what it tastes in its raw form, not I'm not saying you're going to love rosemary fresh off of the branch. Like, no, I'm not saying you're going to be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But you're going to have an idea of what it tastes like so that you can add other things to combat the parts that you don't like about it. Well, and then it's in your your the imagination of your palate. So when somebody says to you, oh, I made rosemary lemonade, mm-hmm. you're not like you have an idea in your right. brain because your your brain like pulls out rosemary and, and sweet lemonade and then you have 
you're better equipped to be like, I don't know what I want to try that versus like, wait, what? Why are you putting green stuff? Totally. In my totally. Or like this super savory item into a sweet thing that should be like, yeah, more of that pop of pleasure, I guess. It's in, it's interesting. I think like, well, and I don't know, even this is getting really nerdy, but like in terms of like sour, something can be sour, but be two different things. Like there's vinegar is very sour but like coffee that's also an acidic product we'd say both vinegar and coffee is acidic but coffee's not sour no but it's highly acidic if it is what is going on right you've like probably dropped a sour patch kid in there and you just didn't know it (laughs) i love sour patch kids yeah one of my oh jesus a kitchen confession one of the worst things I ever made was Ooh. I got the brilliant idea to soak a bunch of Sour Patch Kids in vodka. Mm-hmm. They did not do what I thought they were going to do. Yeah. I did that with Skittles. What? And it didn't do what I wanted it to do. Okay. Well, I feel less bad about no, that. It shouldn't feel bad. It ended up being like this gloop. They did not stay consistent. I tried, like, it was all gray. Like, you couldn't pick out the individual, like, kids. I thought they were just going to be, like, little adult candies and it was no. going to be fun. No. 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 Not Any- good. No. Anyway, don't do it. Do not recommend. <laughs> Negative points, in fact. And oh. then Alex didn't want to waste it. So he was like, I'm going to try to make just like a blend and drink. That's actually a, like, that's not Don't a bad. Don't do it. Also, not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> it's great not to waste, and also we should throw this away. Did you know that there is a whole society, <laughs> I don't know, of super tasters? No. Like, you can be a certified super taster. I've been exposed to the idea of super tasters in that my mom thought she was a super taster for a little while but mostly it was because of her her sensory sensitivities okay yeah that makes sense which is a really interesting conversation just in itself because they go so hand in hand um no I'm talking about people who genetically either are born this way or they work and develop their palate to get to a certain level of taste where like you've heard of a sommelier yeah those are the the wine tasters they're like wine super tasters and those folks blow my mind because how the fuck can you taste a bottle of red wine and know what region it was grown in and what level of acidity the dirt was that I don't fucking understand. Do they though? They sometimes supposedly I'll pull, do. I'll pull like weird tasting notes out of wine, and it, it in my serving positions, it's always impressed people. Where I'll be like, this one tastes, it tastes minerally, or it tastes like this the taste of sunshine in your mouth, and then yeah. that pulls someone in. That's a story that they understand. It, you're you're basically just like sal- selling it. That's all you do. You're being a salesman. Well, uh, yeah, I never lied. No. Okay, that's not true. One one time I lied about it. I hadn't tasted the wine, I guess. Sometimes in the service industry, you just, you got to sell it. And most likely people eat it up and they believe you and they're like, you were so right. And you're like, good, because I had no fucking clue. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but there is this whole, 
National Geographic has talked about this. Harvard has talked about this. It's huge in like the chef world. This We're back to super tasters. Super tasters. Yes. Like specifically for like culinary. I'm sure they would argue within like sommelier, super tasters, whatever. But those are kind of two separate categories. But there's apparently different tiers. I didn't know this up until recently. But they have um, four different tiers and you can be a non-taster, which is 25% of the population, which basically you just, you have likes and dislikes and things that you gravitate towards and things that you avoid, but you wouldn't necessarily would say that you have like a, a well-rounded palate. According to whom? According to these tests that Harvard put on. So anyways, okay. this is a website miss i need all my information <laughs> these are bullet notes um then there's the tasters which is about 50 percent of americans and then there's the super tasters which is 25 percent. and then there's apparently the bonus super tasters so we had 25 25 50 and we're adding percent above 100 dude i'm just reading you what i read i'm i'm and you're gonna put it in the show notes yeah. <laughs> and it's <laughs> I'm li- literally just listening to you. <laughs> 25 and 25, yes, we're at 100% already. And then 4% are supposedly these bonus super tasters. What does that mean? Which is that these are the highest level super tasters. And apparently, if you Google super tasters, you can actually order a super taster kit, which sounds oddly similar to a COVID test kit or like a, but for your mouth. Okay. So like... I don't I didn't read too much into like the test itself but it's like all these strips and you do these different like strip tests in your mouth and you like there's a lot of blue ink apparently in your mouth like people have blue mouths I don't know don't ask me questions about that were they expensive like should we order some they actually weren't and I was thinking I might order one just to like kind of gauge where I'm at can we do that together yeah they're like 15 bucks 20 bucks all right well bonus episode here we go super tasting yeah right but um yeah it's 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 really kind of interesting when you go into it but it's just these people that are like do you get like a score in terms of your ability to pick out flavors i would assume so again i didn't read super much like into the like test itself but i would assume so it puts you on some sort of bracket the first time i had ever heard about super tasters was when i was in culinary school and one of my he was kind of a teacher but more i would say like kind of like a sub he would come in at different times throughout our process but he was a super taster and um it was really intense because he could taste every single mistake you made like if you scorched were you ever like fuck you i want to see your test results are you really a super taster um not at 21 years old when i was scared to fucking death every day in class (laughs) not gonna share those stories uh if you were in class and you were working on a project and let's say like we're making a sauce and you start to scorch the bottom but it wasn't burnt but it was just like slightly toasted where you're like okay I'm going to transfer into another pot because I don't want to scorch it right but it tastes fine you're good you caught it early enough it's just slightly sticking on the bottom this dude could fucking taste it I kid you not multiple times all of us students would come together and be like dude how is he knowing this he also was part of our our final menu that we had to do at the end of um for graduation mm-hmm. did like a big course menu he was one of the judges and he could taste everything oh your oven turned off halfway through baking the cookies didn't they I'm like how the fuck did you was he that? accurate yes crazy he also looked 
He was an ex-fighter pilot, and he was very attractive. Damn it. For being, like, 60 years old. Who's that guy? Looks like a... Uh, I don't remember his name. Famous man. He looks like a famous guy. He played Indiana Jones. What's that guy's name? It's bug. It's bug gonna bug me. So I need you to help me. You're sitting there waiting for me to get over this thought, but it's bugging me. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Are you talking about like the lead character? Yeah. Who also played Han Solo? Yes. Who the fuck is he? We're getting old. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah. Um, Anyways, he looked like that guy. Very beautiful and very intense. And he was just a silver fox. So that's really interesting to me. And I, I'm both interested and I definitely want to do the super taster kits with you. I did not know that was an option. I do want to do a kit, but I also don't give a shit about the whole thing. But I think what I find unfair about that whole thing is that I think that there is a level of bullshit because I think people would get different results at different stages of life for example i am somebody whose food culture has changed significantly over the course of my life and my sense of taste and ability to taste things like scorching a sauce and i'm sure it was even more subtle than when i've scorched a sauce and been like yeah it's kind of scorched but i know the sensory smell of scorching a sauce versus not Mm -hmm. because I have many hours of practicing cooking under my belt, practicing Mm -hmm. cooking from scratch, from raw ingredients and not just um, like we cooked from scratch when I grew up, but it was different from what you might imagine based on the like farm utopia that you see in all of the media that I produce. And a big part of that, like I knew what gardening was and my mom talked about it fondly but we didn't have consistent access to the resources my mom's ability to invest time and education into growing that garden that wasn't there and we were reliant on food banks for a big part of my life and you know I do have early memories of getting a CSA and the first ones my mom did buy with food stamps and they blew my mind in terms of what what food could look like and definitely helped to set me on the path that I'm on today but I think also because of that experience because of me coming from a space where like a lot of my vegetables were from Walmart Mm -hmm. like frozen foods We did buy organic, but like what was available when I lived in a more rural area and the closest grocery store was Walmart, the organic spinach there is very different than what you can get at the farmer's market. And so, you know, later in my academics, I learn that that's called a foodscape and the landscape of food around me changes what is available to me to cook, to reach for, to taste. So when you're talking about like this this super taster test I feel like there's an innate privilege in somebody's access to ingredients education and opportunity to develop their palate and increase their vocabulary of taste and it could change even though I think the super tasters are fucking cool and I would love to be a super taster but also be careful what you wish for because <laughs> then you taste everything but I kind of at the same time as well don't really give a shit because it's such a small percent of our society. Like 
the odds of me as a chef cooking for somebody who's a super taster and is going to give me a bad review is so fucking low. And also it shows such a small percent shows the hierarchy of people that have access to that food. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, I agree with you on the sense of like, I don't really care. I just think it's kind of fascinating. It's interesting, but I feel like it's probably directly influenced and patriarchy. Yeah. If we're eating nothing but like, you know, fast food, donuts and mac and cheese, our palate's not going to be as strong as it would if we had like larger options in our food and quality of food. But that comes with privilege and that comes with the access that some people just don't have, even if they have the money to, to do that. They just might not have the literal space given to them you know what I mean yeah or even know how to reach for the knowledge like Mm -hmm. I've met people where their financial situation has changed so their ability to change their food culture has but they they don't they don't know where to start they don't know where to start and they're very intimidated by it and me heading into the foodie world I experienced a lot of gatekeeping and I still do but not to the same degree I've been in the foodie world probably for like a decade now and so there's an assumed level there's a constant assumed level of knowledge with me where people in the scene don't always take the time to recognize that someone might not know and if someone asks a question it's kind of approach like you don't know Oh, yeah. I and mean, anyway, we can make world. people feel shitty about themselves. <laughs> well, no, but I do think I, I there is an interesting conversation about like how much is the foodie world, how much it mirrors um, colonialism mm-hmm. and the the language then the way we talk about it and the way we value men conquering new flavors and like it be it's so individual focused, yeah. even though food is an innately communal thing thing and so it contradicts itself in that way and I don't mean to like (laughs) hashtag not all men but like yeah it 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 is different the way going back to our other conversation we talk about female chefs different than we talk about male chefs their values and what they present is different and food is innately political and the tastes our sense of taste and our ability to taste is also political and tied to social conditioning and social norms absolutely i 100 percent believe that so an example in which our social circumstance interacts with our taste would be this idea of the hierarchy of taste and it's very similar to the hierarchy of needs and you can look it up and there's two different schools of thought that this is going to bring you to one is this um, again, similar to the hierarchy of needs, it's shaped like a pyramid and, you know, on the bottom, you're more like meeting your very basic needs um, and your sense of security, also your knowledge, your understanding of what it, what you're eating, how it impacts your body, whether that's your hormonal cycle, your hunger cues, whatever. Um, you know, some people might explore this territory in like intuitive eating, which we talked about off air, but, um, even like intuitive eating is like a whole other conversation. conversation. Um, and I think, I mean, to give it my one critique is I think it's more complex than just listening to your body. Um, because you have to learn how to do that before you're able to then understand how food works in your body like it's just 
I have a complicated relationship with intuitive eating. Well, I have a complicated relationship to my body. Yeah. So I'm looking at one pyramid example right now. And on the bottom, so that foundational is that like physiology, your hunger, your thirst, just like your basic needs in that sense. And then above that is your sense of safety. And then next to it, it has a note that says familiarity. So like your aversion or or affinity towards bitterness and sour. Then above safety is your sense of love and your sense of, of belongingness. So that's attached to your food culture um and then above that is esteem um and then at the top is self and sort of the graph that goes alongside of it it's taking you from instinctive to learned to like more of the cognitive space so basically you know your hunger and your taste goes from like the very physical body like primal space up to that intellectualized space and then between those spaces is where little triggers can happen in your sense of safety your sense of belonging your self-esteem and if any of those things get tripped up you're like actual like that top of the hierarchy of taste is like you can't get there Right. Um, it changes drastically based on your ability to access these resources. So that's one school of thought on the hierarchy of taste, which I have more to say about in a second. Um, the other school of thought that I think you'll have a lot to say about is this hierarchy of taste in terms of how we perceive cuisines from different cultures. So like as somebody who grew up in the United States having a certain idea of how much Chinese food should cost or how much Irish food should cost and that is based on our assumptions and perceptions of um I guess the value like the economic value of those different places which is like most people are going to view that for through a lens that doesn't have a lot of education or actual facts behind it it's going to be very much like what they see through media or what they see through hollywood you know what i mean yeah i suppose it's the like also racism also racism it's the thinking of fine dining as french cuisine and chinese food as cheap takeout Mm -hmm. and not an art form yeah no i mean that's rampant i feel like in the culinary world it's it's funny because I feel like I would like to say just because just because I feel like there's so much more education out there when it comes to like the the chef travel show you know like there's like 15 of them now not to mention the competition shows and the like blah 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 like we can go down the list from all levels from street food that you're going to be walking down the street with your beer drunk in Thailand and you're going to grab like meat on the stick which is great to high-end Japanese restaurants where it's an experience the common person I guess my point is is that (laughs) the common person person is hopefully getting a little bit more educated if that's a facet of life that you're interested in I mean you see a lot of racism through food and southern food is a good example within like American cuisine that can be looked at as like poor people food not quality ingredients when that's not necessarily the case or at least that's not how it should be presented yeah 
Well, that's the other school of thought you start to go down if you start to look at the hierarchy of taste. Um, one thing that I was reading about was this George Orwell who wrote Down and Out. And he actually went through like a bit of a social experiment himself where he was a journalist not an academic, who wanted to understand the taste of being in poverty. Whoa. And so he changed his diet and his living experience to be in complete poverty and observed like what that did to his body, to his cognitive um, capability, to his energy, to his motivation, all of these things. And um, where I was reading about this was through the lens of someone reading, writing a, a paper that was actually published this last year. So it was a much more um, modern academic review of some of this work. And they went through a, a similar experiment, but they wanted to understand the taste of food banks and how people approach the act of tasting their food when they are reliant on food banks and this was out of the the UK and it what the paper ended up like delving into is that it was actually really hard to get that information because where these people are at in the hierarchy of taste they're in that like bare minimum needing to meet their basic needs and the system itself like when the author was trained to filter people through of like who could receive rations you're constantly looking for people who are like trying to cheat the system just asking for food right right yeah (laughs) um trying to to weed out people who might not really need it which (laughs) pisses me off good god that that's the that was the space that she was in and she tried to like interview people and ask them about the food and the way they always talked about it was just like oh well we can eat something there will be something here and it was just like this like it wasn't like like to clarify so i understand it, it wasn't necessarily about the food itself it was just like this is a thing of fuel that i can use because i need it to live yes versus a pleasurable thing or like likes and dislikes are a little bit more out the window because this is like all you have well and when the researcher tried to approach that conversation of likes and dislikes and understanding what was being provided to them through the sense of their their sensory experience and what they liked and disliked for research for like funding requests people being interviewed continue to go back to that conversation of it meeting a very basic need and well, they didn't talk about likes taste. and dislikes when it comes to flavor and taste is a like again you've made the point a privilege within itself to even say that you like things and dislike things like like the research is innately flawed because of the system that people are navigating so then to try to mirror what people were given in their rations and like try to cook from that and see what flavors came up you can't totally mirror it because you don't have the same emotional instability and the emotional disruption of needing to maintain that sense of security. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting because when we talk about what we give people through the food banks, if research does approach it, it's so often focused on 
nutritional value and sometimes cultural relevance or dignity but not always well is what people are being given does it taste good Mm -hmm. do they like it yeah well to wrap us up i would like to end on a more like fun positive note because (laughs) tasting your food is a very pleasurable experience like yes it's interesting to think about like hierarchy of needs and like hierarchy and i think it's always interesting to understand how food and our social circumstance kind of overlap but it's also part of how we experience just like pleasure joy well that's the thing yeah like i i think everybody needs to understand and take a minute to understand like see the privilege that they have within just tasting and like having likes and dislikes and choosing between those and their grocery shopping but also yeah it's fun but if you have time to listen to a podcast you probably have time to taste your food maybe i mean hopefully you're eating snacks while you're listening so i want that for you dear listener right what would you say your biggest piece of advice would be to somebody who doesn't really know how to start developing their palate and or just like seasoning things uh smell everything smell everything smell everything um like you know if you get time either from like a garden or you get it just like from the grocery store actually like if you have any ability just grow a few herbs of your own it makes a huge difference and it's stupid expensive at the grocery store and like easy even if you just get the starts and they die and like you buy a new start it's way cheaper (laughs) it's way less expensive than like buying those little plastic packs agreed and it's also like just less waste (laughs) um it's yeah just the fresh fresh ingredients when you can fresh spices is fun to explore if you can um like grinding your own spices but that's a whole other world but just like what know what spices you have smell them all um taste your food as you go and i don't mean like the finished product i mean like if you are making a salad after you wash your lettuce break a piece off and taste it and just like think about it is it bitter is it crunchy i think those are the big ones um i'm thinking of um this is vocabulary that you brought into my life after you bought the flavor bible for my birthday Mm. And you were like, highly recommend this is like one of the biggest reference books that I go back to. And for those of you who don't know, the flavor Bible is sorted into like, here's an ingredient and then all these things that can be paired with. And it's like based on a compilation of ideas from chefs all over where these are consistent pairings for these very specific ingredients. And it is, and it really breaks down each ingredient of like, this is the season. This is the flavor notes. This is like the texture it really it's really great but you don't read it you like reference it yes (laughs) um but what i love about it is it brought the idea of thinking of flavor in terms of volume like quiet or loud and i think of that both in terms of how loud it is like how strong the flavor is in my mouth and how loud it is for me to chew it so if my salad is too loud and i have to put enough fuck ton of work to chew it i'm gonna be tired by the end of that salad do you know what i mean i do know yeah (laughs) so yeah taste your taste everything smell everything and this both i i encourage it as a practice to make you a better cook 
not in an immediate gratification way, but it helps you learn how to have relationships to your ingredients, Mm. especially if you're interested in seasonal eating and living, which I'm a huge advocate for. You will start to taste the difference in your kale or your greens or your whatever, even your meat. Yeah. If you you can afford local, locally raised meat, um, it'll, it'll have subtle differences Mm -hmm. as the season progresses and you're, you might not be able to put words to it, but your sense of smell and your sense of taste will start to just make notes about them. And the other side of this that I have seen be very positive with private clients of mine is that it can help. Um, create a sense of presence and actually be an emotional regulation tool. I realize that I'm I'm sounding painfully adjacent to wellness culture, which I'm not trying to promote, but there is a very powerful sense of presence when you just like education versus smell your yeah. hands. Like I forget what food you were talking about, like where you're like, I love it when you can just like still smell it on your hands after you chop <laughs> it up. Re- I don't remember, I don't remember but it was like garlic. It was something pungent. It was something stanky. <laughs> <laughs> something so satisfying about eating your meal after cooking and when you bring your fork to your mouth and your hand is not far from your your face you can smell the residual it's really satisfying to me (laughs) nice those are good tips those are really good tips do you have tips for people developing their palate kind of going along the path of tasting everything not only your raw ingredients like you were saying like tasting your herbs and tasting your lettuce right like to know what it is just in its raw form with safety you're not like chomping your raw beef no i mean you can smell it you can smell it you can touch it see how it springs back what what is the color of it what's the marble look like what does the fat look like does the fat have a smell um was it frozen do you still do you smell the freezer on it after it thaws like that's that's a a thing you can see the meat that maybe didn't quite get freezer burned but like almost did you can see the texture is a little bit different on that corner you know Mm -hmm. all those things will affect your ending flavor so like in the world of teaching like my kitchen crew the big thing that I'll say is if you don't know this recipe or like this sauce you have to taste it at every single stage so not only all of your raw components that you're using but also as you put it on you got your roux going taste your roux once you feel like it's done what does it taste like and can you explain what a roux is traditionally it's melted butter with flour mixed to a consistency of like wet sand and then you toast it over medium to medium high heat Mm -hmm. understand when it tastes good versus just like melted butter and flour which doesn't taste that great together um once you add your milk let's say you're doing like a cream sauce taste it before your milk gets warm then taste it once your milk's warm the flavor changes from cold to hot and your tastes don't have to be like full spoonful no like you're literally no. you can just dip your finger in it and touch it to your tongue i mean i wouldn't say that in the professional sense because you shouldn't oh, put your mouth in it like but that was my home, home cook like at home you can do that <laughs> but if you're cooking for other people it's maybe not the most respectful just thing stick your tongue right in the pot <laughs> just lick it like a cat yeah just like every stage and then when you get to the point of like seasoning that item and you add like your salt, taste it. Okay, I'm going to add my herbs now. Taste it. I'm going to adjust my salt again. Taste it again. Like everything you add, if you practice that consistently, you can learn what each thing you add changes your other flavors. So like you can learn how to use sugar to manipulate other flavors, not necessarily make it sweet, but I want to bring the tomato flavor out more. So I'm going to add sugar, not necessarily to make it sweeter, but to like enhance these other flavors. Kind of approach it like... 
it's a new interaction or like a first date with somebody. Like you have to get to know them on every level and every layer so that you know how to best work with them and make sure that you both end up in a good time. You know what I mean? At the end of the day at home, it's what you like and it's what you desire. So everyone has different salt levels that they like, sweet levels, acidity levels. Through tasting, you're going to find out what you like. Even explore what type of cuisines do you like? Are you attracted to Mexican food? Do you eat like a lot of Asian food? Because then you can pull things from those cultures mm-hmm. and different ingredients and utilize them in things. Well, and <laughs> I'm going to sound more like a sexologist right now. But like if you understand <laughs> what you like, you're better equipped yeah. to communicate that and to meet other people's needs. I think mm-hmm. um, as women, we often um, are so caught up in meeting what everyone else's l- likes and we let that take up a lot of space in our brains. So our ability to be creative in the home kitchen is often hindered by like, oh, well, the kid or my partner doesn't like X, Y, and Z. Totally. And so it can get really muddled in your brain. And totally. even if you don't have the capacity to cook exactly how you want you can still develop your flavor vocabulary over time because it does take time to build up it does and I think that can be really empowering too a big thing they taught us in school was to not be a slave to the recipe like if you're given a recipe it's okay to like switch it up and like change your amounts it's okay like don't be a robot be who you are and take control of your own destiny I guess words to live by don't be a robot don't be a robot and that's really again that's so much easier said than done when you're not an experienced cook you know yeah because food costs money and you don't want to like fuck it up right Right. but you can do all of those things that you were talking about even with like the foods that you currently eat even just like smelling the powder of macaroni and cheese when you open it and you notice that like poof in the air just like take a second to smell it pour a glass of wine if you want and just make it kind of a fun zen space and hopefully the kitchen can be a place for relaxation and peace just start with where you're at just start with what you already cook what you already eat and I make that distinction because I think even the practice of tasting your food can have a lot of benefits, even if you're not a big cook. Even if you're going out to eat at a restaurant, like, yeah, take time, even if that means close your eyes for 30 seconds at the table and really like absorb yourself in the texture and the flavor and listen to how it talks to you. It's one thing I think food is so related to is music. And I feel like I've talked about this before on other episodes it's cooking as writing a song like each note has a different emotional impact on you and certain notes are put there to like soften other parts of the song you know we have repetitive notes blah 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 but find what you like enjoy it take time totally all of that and talk about it with someone that's at the table with you or on your Instagram story and you can tag us and let us know about what you're tasting, what you're experiencing and just have more conversations about it with yourself, with people around you. And yeah, just that is the time. It's so important. Like we pay for food. We have to eat food. Food is so much pleasure. Literally take the time to enjoy it. Well, and even if you don't think you can, the art of tasting your food 
can help open the doors for you to understand where you can find pleasure and notice tiny moments of it. Even if you're not a person who takes pleasure in their food right now or finds joy in it, the act of tasting your food can help open some of those doors for you if that's what you want and, you know, just help you understand yourself a little better. Yeah. The world is such a shit show right now. It's time to chat and eat about your food. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Your time is a gift and we really appreciate it. Did you know you can now rate Time to Chat on Spotify? Follow us on Instagram for first dips on some listener swag. Trust us, you're going to want some of this. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow, share, and rate this podcast. It really makes a difference and helps us reach more folks that want to digest their relationship to food. Thanks for being here. Until next time. Is tasting a pleasure? (laughs) Yes, Yes, it is. It It totally is. Listen to the episode. (laughs) Is tasting a pleasure? It's hard. It's so fucking hard sometimes. That's what she said. (laughs) 